Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Oh, good morning. It's great to be with you. Linda and myself, uh, we've travelled long distances to be here with you today. Uh, 14 miles, I think, so that is just uh, it's ideal. So it's great to be with you. We love coming out to Ashburnham, and uh, we, uh, we know a number of people here, so uh, Ben is around. Where's Ben? There you go. Miss them. We know Sophie, his wife, extremely well, with the uh, privilege of being involved and connected with you guys for many years. You know, Ruth over here as well, who was part of Eastbourne for some time. So uh, explain in a moment a little bit about uh, our context, who we're from, but uh, just to explain what is going to happen. I'm going to be probably speaking uh, for the first half of the talk, and then uh, we'll have a quick stretch of legs break, and then Belinda's going to come in and uh, talk for the second half, and uh, she'll come and bring it into land in about three hours' time. So it should be <laughs> fine. Okay. So we've been, <laughs> we've been uh, leading the church down in Eastbourne now for nearly ten years, I think, nine years. And uh, it was originally led by, founded by a chap called Don Smith, who in New Frontier circles is kind of like legendary. And uh, you know, there's lots of myths about him. Many of them are actually true. And uh, so uh, I took over leading of the team, uh, I think 2005, so by accident. And, uh, but anyway, I carried on leading the team. And uh, it's gone very well. So that was when, as a church, we were meeting as one church in one venue at one time. Over the last uh, 10 years, we've uh, added in a few more meetings and a few more venues. Uh, And so tomorrow there'll be uh, four meetings taking place in three different venues. So it's been an exciting journey for us in a cosmopolitan downtown Eastbourne, which which is great, which is very cultural, very similar to Brixton. (laughs) Actually, to be honest, uh, the Devonshire Ward area, uh, where we actually started a, a new congregation down there called uh, Centro, King Centro, uh, within one square kilometre of where we meet in the local junior school, there's 54 different nationalities represented. So, it, it, you know, surprisingly, Eastbourne is very diverse. It isn't just one ethnicity, there's multiple ethnicities. And uh, not just ethnicity diverse, but actually very rich and diverse as a community and a culture. Uh, a couple of years ago, 18 months ago, I went on a church conference called Rapid Church Growth Community. Okay, which is very exciting. Toppy was there. It's a pity Toppy can't be around. Uh, Toppy was there as well. And we were asked the question, is, uh, uh, how is your church going to be going through rapid growth in the next two years? And within 48 hours, we had to give a presentation back about how our church was going to go through that. Uh, there was 15 church teams that were represented And uh, to give feedback, we were team number 14. And uh, so I'd already endured 13 other presentations of how they were... Sorry, not endured. Enjoyed. Enjoyed 13 other... I'm glad you're laughing. I had a strange dream last night, didn't I? I I I dreamt that I was speaking here today and you all just sat there motionless without without any... We actually just sat... Uh, you know, anyway, that was just my dream. And uh, 
13 other churches doubling in size, doubling in venues, doubling in leaders, doubling in budgets. I think Toppy was probably, oh dear, we don't want any of that. We just need to pray more. He'd just do that. Toppy would just do that. Pray more, read the Bible, and we'll grow. And uh, Anyway, the other churches were there were going, oh, we're going to do this and this and this and this. And then I just stood up and I just said, look, in two years' time, I just feel that we as a church community just need to be facing the community. We just need to be much more engaged in dialogue and involvement and connecting with. And, uh, you know, that, so that started quite a lot of thought process going on. So we didn't have growth projection and bar charts and budgets. It was just a simple statement that in two years' time we want to have the church facing the community. And as a result, underlying conviction that we believe the kingdom of God will grow. Now, in terms of reaching impact in uh, the community and the culture, I'm not sure we're winning I think that, looking in a little bit at the 2011 census, which is probably the clearest indication, is that the number of people who now are ticking the box to say no religion has has hugely grown. I don't know if you knew this, but Lambeth, 27% of people in Lambeth say they have no religion. That was in the 2011 census. The average is 25%. I I looked at this this morning. So... Actually, Lambeth is one of the few places that has grown with a Christian population. Didn't know that. Well done. It's also grown with Jedi Knights as well. I didn't know that. <laughs> well done. You're the fifth highest place in the country for Jedi Knights. Did you know that? <laughs> 1,200 and something. Okay, well done. There's a ministry opportunity there. Okay, come on. The force. We'll be praying about that later on. Okay, so there's an increasing population uh, that are just saying, I have no regard for Christianity or religion, organized religion. I've just completely switched off. In fact, a recent survey in 2014 of under 25-year-olds put 45% in that category, so they've got no, I have no religion. I've just have no interest whatsoever. No specific faith, not asking questions to life. They're not seeking. They just don't care. Uh, I heard a reference that they're just apathyist. Just don't care, simply don't care. Because they're just completely disengaged, don't want to engage, have no needs to engage. But one of the reasons why they're not wanting to engage and to not be associated at all is often is because of things like the division and the splits, hateful aggression, corruption and scandal that takes place within organised faith and religions. Now, I know over the 48 hours that you're here, you're looking at encountering with God. That's so important. I guess the emphasis of what I want to be talking in the two hours I've got is, the, is how do, how, what do we need to do so that others can encounter God? How do we need to respond to that? And I think what is going to change people's impression and understanding, especially in this non-generation that is going, no religion generation that is coming through, more secular, more you know, humanist, is actually they're going to be encountering us before they encounter the gospel of Jesus. So I reckon there's actually an increasing responsibility, not necessarily on the message, but we being that message. It's partly that facing the community, engaging with the community, being part of community. How are we doing at Kings down in Eastbourne? Well, I guess in the last 18 months, we haven't been through a rapid church growth. I should get my money back from the conference I went on to. But there has been a shift in people who are coming along. Now, 
by default because maybe the net increase hasn't, you know, so some people have left. But the people who are coming along and why they're sticking, there's, there's a different sort of person who's now coming along. We had a baptism event last weekend. I just loved it, you know. Um, there's 10 people who've been baptized and the diversity, not, eth- not necessarily ethnic diversity, but the diversity of the people who are in the pool is just remarkable. We had one person who grew up in a church environment and she was a teenager now, 17, 18, and she was getting baptized as a declaration of her faith. The other nine people, just the stories were just so encouraging. And one that really stood out was a 22-year-old guy called Luke, complete atheist background. Family, complete atheist background. And God spoke to him in a dream. Now you hear these stories that happen now in like far rich places where Jesus speaks to people in dreams. This is a 22-year-old white guy in Eastbourne. And he met Jesus in a dream. It's changed him. And his whole family were there last week hearing him tell his story about the difference knowing Jesus has made in his life. Love that. You know, there's a 55-year-old biker, aggressive, violent background, uh, tattoos covered in them, shaved head, and he was in the pool just in floods of tears. I, I love that. See, there's a rich diversity. I, I, I think what, what I'm really encouraged about is the expression of the church that I'm a part of is that we are absolutely going for this, that this is a church for everyone, and we're building a community that is open for everyone because I want to have a community that is so attractive and appealing that people want to join it. And when they see something that is attractive, then they start to get the message that sits behind it. So Acts chapter 11. If you've got Bibles, great. Sorry, we didn't have time to put it up on here. I just, I will read it, only a couple of verses. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the words to no one except the Jews. So, Acts chapter 11. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for salt, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch for a whole year they met with a church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, now for a number of people, that would be a familiar passage. Okay. So this early church, church in the city called Antioch, uh, founded as a result of these new converts fleeing the persecution that's taken place in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, a man called Stephen. Uh, he was murdered in Acts chapter 7. That created a catalyst for a great sense of opposition. Persecution happened. Actually, that was the first time we were really introduced to this man called Saul. And the believers fled the city, traveled north, spending the gospel as they went, and they arrived in Antioch. And the verse 20 said this, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching to the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, a great number who believed turned to the Lord. They just that verse is, is, is actually, I looked at it, I thought it's actually a really important verse. Because here we've got Jews from Cyprus who had gone to Jerusalem, fled from Jerusalem, and are now preaching the gospel to non-Jewish Greek speakers. 
And you go, well, what's the deal? They, you know, they spoke the same language. But here we've got non-Jews who were being actively being reached by the Christian gospel now by believing Jews. Now, the previous chapter, in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, Peter had this vision dream. Uh, and he's sitting on top of a roof and, you know, falls into a trance. And, and in that trance, he has this vision of the, you remember the blanket coming down and on it, there's a load of food that he wasn't allowed to eat and God said, get up and eat. I can't eat, it's unclean. I can't. And God says, what I've declared clean, you can eat. And he left that place, went off to be Cornelius, and then he was just amazed when the Holy Spirit fell down, landed into kind of like Cornelius's house, and Peter was amazed because of, you know, even Gentiles were now hearing the gospel. Well, the outworking of Acts chapter 10 is, is also being seen in Acts chapter 11, that these Jewish-speaking converts were now reaching non-Jews with the gospel. Now, we know what it's like trying to greet people of different nationalities. I, I kind of get it wrong most of the time. You know, we went on holiday a few years ago, and we were staying with some uh, Italian family that we'd not met before, and they were lending us their house, but they came to meet us at the airport. We'd not really met them, and I thought, what, 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 what do I do? How do I greet, especially the man? How, how do I greet him? Because these Italians, they're all very affectionate. <laughs> uh, you know, so, and then, okay, I know he's going to come and try to kiss me. How do I react to that? And, and, he, and we met him at the airport. Never met him before. And he came to me. And then he got this question. I go, do you go left or do you go right? And you end up going right down the middle, which is not, not the best thing. Because different cultures have different ways of greeting and doing things. But as a result of not being in community and in cultures, you can also feel kind of excluded, not part of stuff. Not just talking about ethnic sensitivities. You're far more alert to that than I am. But in the cultures in which we're living in, the different backgrounds, the different lifestyles, the different moral codes, the different statuses, I just think that there's something about the, one of the keys about us as a church community is that we should be the most welcoming community from the first moment to the last. So that if we want people to encounter God, we need to be encountering us how do we do that? We, we need to be deliberate about that. We need to be very intentional about including others who are not like me. Now, we, we had an event, you may do similar, but we, in recent years we started breaking bread together on Good Friday. We've never really caught on to that. But in the last couple of years, it was actually a, uh, I can't remember, a lady from Cameroon who came to us a few years ago and said, why do you not break bread on Good Friday? We went, I don't know. Let's, okay, let's do that. And actually, uh, so there's a couple of hundred people who came along to this event, and it was Belinda's comment after us, it's just the richness of the diversity that was in the room. Not, again, not just ethnic diversity. And, and we, we looked at it after, so we had the young and the old and the singles and the marrieds. We had people with same-sex attraction and the divorced and the bereaved. We had, there was one moment where there was a pharmacist, pharmacist who was breaking bread with a former drug dealer. And there was a prison officer who was breaking bread with a former inmate. And there was an entrepreneurial, wealthy businessman who was breaking bread with someone on Job Seekers Allowance. Amazing. The university lecturer who was breaking bread with people who require additional support with additional needs. The richness and the attraction of that is that we have to be deliberate and intentional. And I think it's partly about our response and our attitude about how we're going to do that. So it's about being deliberate. It's also about being tolerant. <laughs> without tutting, without disapproving, without criticizing, without judging. You know, and 
we, we, I think Linda on one of her teams that she leads, one of the personal teams, she teaches people how to not overreact when they hear shocking news. She, she trains them. Okay, yes, I've just been sleeping with 10 people this week and I'm pregnant by four of them. <gasps> not to look shocked by that. Okay, teach people how to smile. With, you know, sometimes, some of us are brilliant at smiling. Some of us, it's painful. It's a grimace on our face, but keep pushing through. See, we're living in an environment that actually, honestly, church should be messy, and it should be complex, and it should be, there shouldn't really be anything neat about it. And it should be causing huge pastoral dilemmas that are going on, and how on earth do we now handle this situation? Because we want to be so attractional that people want to come and be part, part of this sort of community which is really reflecting the good news of the gospel. So the gospel is wide open regardless of lifestyle and history and background, just like it was for us. So this community down in Antioch that began with the uh, Jewish converts reaching the non-Jewish Greek speakers is an indication that the gospel can kind of go beyond uh, some of the boundaries which, which sometimes we restrict. It's a welcoming community. But following on from that, the Antioch Church was also built on a foundation of encouragement. I think there's something incredibly attractive about being in an environment which is encouraging and positive. So rich in encouragement. So rich in support. A British culture is not known for its positivity. It is probably more known for its cynicism and talking it down. Uh, one of the last times I came to Ashburnham, uh, remember Scott Marks? You know Scott? I don't know if you know Scott. You could sit down with Zimbabwean. Is Zimbabwean? Zimbabwean. Amazing! Everything is amazing. Okay. Oh, would you like a coffee? Amazing coffee! <laughs> oh, why don't you take a seat? Oh, amazing chair! It's just, you just love being around people like that. Because it's amazing! Wow. (laughs) The difference of being in an environment where it's encouraging and supportive is very attractive. What do we know about Barnabas? Well, culturally, he was a Cypriot. He spoke the language. He knew the culture. He knew how to kiss people. I guess. It's in the Greek. He also was a man of great character, a good man, full of the spirit, full of faith. He was generous. We know he was generous because he sold his field, laid it at the apostles' feet. He was an encourager. Do we know what his name was originally? Uh, we see, pick up chapter 4 of Acts. He was actually originally known as Joseph. Okay, Joseph became Barnabas. They renamed him. Now, I don't think it was a cynical thing. Actually, they said, no, you are such an encourager. We're going to call you encourager. We're going to call you Barnabas. And I love having people, I love being around people like Barnabas. And I love as a church leader having Barnabas around. (laughs) I love that. Do you know, it just drains the life out of you when you're with someone who is constantly negative. Doesn't it? You just want to (laughs) die. But But being around someone who is so supportive and so encouraging and so positive, you go, come on, we can take the world. Amazing. Yes, you can. And the message translation said this. As soon as Barnabas arrived, he saw that God was behind it and in it all. 
He threw himself in with them, got behind them to stay with it the rest of their lives. I like that. We need to throw ourselves in. Now, some of you are brilliant at being natural encouragers. I just encourage you, just encourage. Just do it naturally. Not just in this context, but just, just see the difference in the impact it can have on other people's lives. So be released. Do a lot of good simply by exercising your gift. If you're not natural encourager, well, become one. Be intentional. So how do you do that? Well, one of those is about choosing to believe. Now, now one of the emphasis of this weekend, I understand, is about encountering God. One of the things that stops us from encountering God is actually uh, unbelief, cynicism. So we need to choose to believe. We need to focus on what God is doing, not on what is not yet doing. So we had a, a story, uh, a couple of stories. We, we do a lot of stories. So we had a, a lot of stories that are coming out in the life of the church. And <coughs> a couple of months back, uh, there was a man who said, Man, he's late 70s, and he stood up and he said, Today I'm celebrating my 20th birthday. And he went, right, okay. Don't say anymore. Yeah, because 20 years ago, uh, I was given minutes to live. And, and, and literally, he was, he was on his deathbed. And then, miraculously, God intervened. And so 20 years later, so I'm standing up today to testify 20 years ago, minutes, all the family were gathered around him. He'll be gone in a few minutes. At the same meeting, a lady called Rachel stood up, a young woman, late 20s. And uh, she'd been through a horrendous uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma and uh, awful stage four Hodgkin's. It was really bad. And uh, bone marrow transplants, everything like that. She was told that uh, as a result of the treatment, she would you know, not have children uh, or 97% chance that she would never have children. And, and it's that going. And on the same day that this bloke called Terry stood up, Rachel stood up, and in her arms was, uh, what's the child's name? I can't remember its name. Oh, I'll make it up, you wouldn't know. Okay, the Bob. And. Uh, <laughs> what's the child's name? Oh, anyway. Noah uh, 2. Noah 2, yeah. Well, I was thinking it was going to Noah. But suddenly she's stood up on the stage with this amazing, amazing 10 day old baby. And she just told her story. That's brilliant. Good to share stories. Why? Because it builds belief. We also need to challenge cynicism. Because as soon as someone can say there was a 97% chance of never... Well, it was 3%, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't a miracle then, was it? There was at least 3%. Cynicism drains life and faith and expectancy and joy. So we need to counter that by celebrating everything. We celebrate the healing, even if it's only a partial healing. We, we breathe life and encouragement into the stuff that is taking place. So we choose to believe. We choose to bless. Intentionally look to build others up, not pull them down. Now, partly that is the use of our language. It's kind of ingrained within the culture to actually be very negative banter. It's destructive. Well, switch that around. Change the tone. Change the sarcasm. Watch the language. Watch the humor. Deliberately, intentionally thank people. Express appreciation. Recognize people's strengths, not deficiencies. Honor people. See, that makes a big difference because people want to be around you if, you know, if you're doing that. And it's also choose to be positive. Make a decision not to grumble and criticize and undermine and dishonor. Tutting and raised eyebrows are just not allowed.
Barnabas, when he arrived at Antioch, saw what was going on and he threw himself in. He says, good, I recognize what God is doing and he threw himself in. I think there's something about not just having a welcoming community, but having an encouraging community that actually has a massive impact on people's lives. I think it's very attractive, attractional. I think when they meet that sort of community, they kind of then want to understand the message that lies behind it. Before Belinda comes, I just want to touch on something else. See, the biggest turn-off, well, one of the biggest turn-offs in our community, in our society, is that they just see the lack of authenticity and genuineness within people who call themselves Christians. Uh, we ran a teaching series a couple of years back called The Big Objections, where we just engaged with like, loads of people and just said, hey, what's your big ob- objection about Christianity? And Lots of people uh, got involved in that, and uh, there's a website that was set up, and people could just post what their biggest objections was. And then when we categorized it all afterwards to work out where, what the objections were, the biggest number one objection to Christianity was hypocrisy in the church. It wasn't, it wasn't sexuality, it wasn't science, it, you know, it was hypocrisy. That was the biggest objection. Christians pretending to be one thing but living the exact opposite. See, there is something about people wanting to see something that is authentic, the genuine. They want to see what is real. Now, hypocrisy, this theatrical term about wearing a mask, is that their consideration is that Christians hide behind a mask, they're fake. They say one thing and yet living a life which is completely contradictory to that. Now, Barnabas, in this situation, Barnabas needed help. There was a great work that was taking place. And I love Barnabas' reaction. He went, so it says that he went to Tarsus in search of Paul. And a great many people added to the Lord. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him back into Antioch. That one little verse, there's a couple of different reactions. We've got Barnabas' response, we've got Paul's response, and then we could have the people's response to this. So we've got Barnabas in there. He was in a place where he recognized that he needed help, so he called in additional support. Being honest and humble enough to ask for that, honesty and humility. Uh, Britain's Got Talent will be on tonight. You will look at some of you've been watching it, similar to X Factor, people go for the auditions and they think they're super good. And then they're on the stage, you go, that is just super awful. That is just terrible. How on earth, oh, my grandma thinks I'm the best person ever. It's like, no, that's your grandma. She's kind of biased and she should have been honest with you at least 15 years ago. But there's, there's an honesty about this. And Barnabas is going, look, I can't do all of this. I'm going to grab Paul and uh, pull him in to help. You see, there's an importance that sometimes we need to know what we are good at, what we're not good at, and what we aren't good at, find the people who are better at it and work with them. What is also interesting is in a couple of chapters on, Barnabas and Paul become Paul and Barnabas. Okay, so the reference in chapter 11 is that Barnabas and Paul, a couple of chapters on, it's Paul and Barnabas. The, uh, the leader became the follower. I get this sometimes. It's, which church do you go to, Graham? Oh, King's Church in Eastbourne. Oh, that's Andrew Wilson's church. All the time. <laughs> I started telling people that Andrew does ballet now as well, just to <laughs> just get my own back. He preaches to ballet music. Um, how do we handle it when people in the limelight more than us? And in the context of us and communities, that people will go beyond and past us. And actually, we should be encouraging that. 
and it's important, especially in developing people and developing other leaders, is that your mentees or your apprentices, they actually, you should be wanting them to fly right past you. It's essential that any church is developing people into the future. And the danger is that we can allow our insecurities and our jealousies to get in the way and it will stifle growth and it will stop continuity. So let's not block the seats. Let's not limit other people's opportunities to develop but build a platform so that they can launch way beyond you. And I just want to pick up on, that was Barnabas's response when he recognized that he needed support and help, but then there was Paul's response in that as well. Paul, previously, up to this point, was an enthusiastic persecutor of the Christian uh, church, approving of their death, was picked up with Stephen. But in Galatians chapter 1, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. He had a fairly colorful, unpleasant past. How do you handle it when you do have a past? Because it can actually be a very limiting factor in terms of what God is calling you to if the history overshadows you. We need to learn to deal with that and work it through and come to a place of recovery and restoration and not allow some of that history of the things that... Paul was in a place where he was one of the most avid persecutors. And he had to come through to a point where Barnabas turns up and says, hey, I need you. How do you handle that? No, no, I can't do that. But he worked that through. Because historic things in your past can limit and cripple you. You need to recover and you need to relaunch. A couple of weeks back, uh, Blaine and myself were speaking on a Sunday. We're hitting into another teaching series called Citizens at the moment. What does it look like to be a citizen of heaven? And uh, it's an interesting series. And uh, we've had some people respond Positively, negatively too, because we've looked at stuff like welfare and immigration and stuff. Uh, you know, not that there's been elections going on. But, but actually, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, the whole issue of protection of the unborn child. And uh, we just really want, from a pastoral point of view, just to be honest and say, look, there'll be many people here in this context here that have gone through the heartache and the pain of ending an unwanted pregnancy. And we want to lead you through into a place of recovery for the future and hope. And we had a testimony story, uh, a video of just someone who basically went through a decision that she made at the age of 18, 17, 18, and how that has influenced all of her life, everything that has gone on in her life as a result of that. And then when she became a Christian, it's like the journey into understanding new life and good news of Jesus. That, that's part of the context of dealing with the history and the past and then coming into all the goodness of what the gospel is about to seeing people set free. The good news is that Lady's now part of your freedom team. She's seen other people liberated and set free, really being used in the purposes of God. I think having an environment which is welcoming, welcoming of everyone, having an environment which is so encouraging, building up and not negative and not cynical, and having an environment where there's so many second chances and we're not pushing people away because they don't quite fit, but come on in. Come and be a part of this. Come and be a part of what is going on. I think some of those things are so important. If I want people to encounter God, what do I need to change in order to make this so much more attractional for them to even begin to explore? And the final thing is, verse 2 of chapter 13 says this, while they were worshipping the Lord, well, sorry, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. 
So being sent out in the power of the Spirit, they went. Antioch actually became the launch part of the adventure. On each of Paul's three missionary journeys, he left from Antioch. Right in the heart of Antioch was a sense of mission, was a sense of calling, was certainly the sense of adventure. We must go. So we need to be in an environment where we're encouraging adventure and expectancy, being caught up in God's plan for our life. Let's take a couple of minutes break, stand up, stretch out, and then Belinda will come and pick up our point about living the adventurous life. Thank you. That was a very quick one minute, two minutes. <laughs> That's all right. Smooth changeover. Okay. Hello. Uh, so we need to be the most welcoming community, the most encouraging community, and the third one, the most real community. I think those things are very attractional and attractive for other people looking in because they will want to go. There's something about that actually that might be worth joining. The fourth one is then to give adventure, and Blinda's going to pick up. So please welcome my lovely wife, Linda. <laughs> Right, I love it. Um, at the end, Graham said that we need to encourage an environment of adventure and expectancy. Um, and I, I love that. I imagine you do as well. I mean, you're part of, um, you, many of you probably came from Catford on this adventure uh, to join Beacon to think, actually, what are we going to do? How are we going to influence the, the culture we're in and, and the environment we're in? Now, um, recently, I was asked to speak at a conference in Brighton. I'm not often asked to speak at conferences. I was a little bit apprehensive and just said, well, what is a theme? Is there anything you want me to speak on? And uh, they said, well, last year, they had these amazing speakers with these phenomenal stories. It was just incredible. And they said, but this year, we're not really looking for anything with an outstanding gift. (laughs) (laughs) Or a platform ministry. We just want someone ordinary, really. <laughs> so I think, I can do ordinary. <laughs> That's me. I remember attending a seminar, probably similar to this, and um, there was this lovely lady who was speaking on parenting and marriage. And I remember she said after her third baby, uh, she then in her spare time started to write a book. And I glazed over at this point thinking... And it's after my first baby, I really struggled to write a shopping list. (laughs) So, I don't know, some of you here will be people who write books. Some of you will be people who think, yeah, I can just about write a shopping list. But we're all in the main ordinary people, I think. And and yet what we want to look at is how do we um, remain ordinary, doing our ordinary everyday lives, but expect the extraordinary? Because we're serving an extraordinary God, aren't we? So that's what I thought I'd look at a little bit today on this adventure. In Romans 12, it says, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. It's doing the ordinary and allowing the ordinary to be used in such a way that becomes extraordinary. And I I think I'm I'm growing in this more and more, really. We're thinking, this is what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to all be superheroes. He just wants us to be us doing what he wants us to do, where we live, where we work. And I was on a train. I was actually um, going to Brighton. And I thought I needed to do some preparation, quite a lot of preparation. So I downloaded some Bible verses on my phone. And I, I put some reading material on my phone. And I thought that's what I would do for this half an hour journey. I was just about to get on the train and I thought, oh, 
I prayed and said, Lord, if there is anybody you want me to speak to, just make it very, very clear because I'm really quite busy and I've got a lot to do. So um, anyway, I got on the train and sat down and I made sure I, was, I wasn't sitting next to anybody. You know those nice chairs where you have two in front of you, you then have a table and then one next to you. And I thought, I'll put my bag there. And I just got out my phone. Then uh, just as the train was about to leave Eastbourne, this young guy bounced in and came opposite me and said, hi, you don't mind if I sit there, do you? Nope. Don't mind at all. <laughs> and then he sat there and said, oh, you probably think I'm some weird guy who wants to sit opposite you and talk to you. And I said, I said so are you a weird guy? <laughs> and do you want to talk to me? And he said, well, actually, I've just split up from my missus. So I thought, okay, and um, he then went and talked and talked and talked that he is in Eastbourne, that his missus has said, I don't, this is it, we've had enough, and um, just go, go back to Southampton, I don't want to see you again. And he was broken, he kept talking and talking. And in my mind, I was thinking, well, if this is a God opportunity, I need to turn the conversation around a little bit with being caring. But I thought, if I ask him about his job, he might then ask me about my job. So I said, well, what do you do? And he told me. He then turned around and said, so what do you do? And I said, well, that's interesting. I used to be an occupational therapist. I worked in mental health and did counselling. He went, oh, that's handy. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was like, and then I said, but now I work part-time in the church. So that's quite handy as well. At this point, the, the train started filling up and we had another lady who sat next to him and another young guy sat to me next to me. And he leant forward and said, so, have you always been religious? And do you ever have this dialogue in your head with you? If you just said, yes, it would all end there. Um, but I didn't. I then went on and told him a bit my, my, about my story, which Pauline knows a little bit about, I think. Um, I said, when I was about 14, I went through a, a difficult time. I, I was quite depressed. My parents didn't know what to do with me. And they took me to the GP. The GP didn't really know what to do with me at the time. And I felt quite isolated, lonely. I didn't know what was going on. Didn't know what the point to life was, really. But at that time, I was also at school and this... Uh, lovely but very ordinary maths teacher um, did us something quite courageous really and invited her whole class to her wedding and a few of us went oh go on then we'll go along and so we went along sat at the back and I remember thinking this isn't an ordinary wedding this is, this is different people seem to be just worshipping and actually believing what they're singing and I could see down the aisle my maths teacher raising her hand and singing and um, I turned to my friend next to me and said what if church was really like this I think I'd go and she nudged me back and said I go to a church like this you should come <laughs> so, so, so I did I then started going and for a year it's Barnabas at the time I started going along to Barnabas and challenging and questioning and challenging and then about a year in there came a point where someone was at the front and was uh, leading worship and they said you know, we're just going to break bread and wine. And, and he explained what that was about. And at that moment, I just knew. I just knew that Jesus had died for me. And because of that, I could then enter into an intimate relationship with a heavenly father. Now, I was saying this to the guy on the train. In my head, I was thinking, I wonder what on earth these other two people are thinking. And I didn't have to wait long because he nudged them and said, what do you think? <laughs> so, so, at that point, the lady said, oh, it's very interesting, really, isn't it? And the whole dialogue continued all the way to Brighton, and we ended up swapping websites, and, and I told them about where they could look up stories. So there was absolutely no prep done that day whatsoever, or for today, so that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but it challenged me. I thought, goodness, you know, 
Even when we are busy, there are opportunities. God gives us opportunities all the time. And that was only a few weeks ago. And one of my favorite verses is, the thief comes to steal. It says in John 10.10, but I have come to give you life and life in all its fullness. Life living in all its fullness. What's that about? We have some impactors. I don't know whether you do have gap year students with you. And we sat down with them one day and I told them this verse. And I said, what does that mean for you? And one of them said, living my life the way God wants me to without being distracted and saying yes to the adventure. I thought that was great. Without being distracted and saying yes to the adventure. What distracts us from this adventure? What steals us away from living life in all its fullness? Um, I don't know about you, but we, you know, we generally live very busy lives, don't you? Many of you have got families, responsibilities. You may have careers, mortgages, church, serving. And, um, and you're trying to make everybody happy all the time. It's really busy. And also, you could just have busy heads. I mean, I, I'm quite different from my husband, Graham, over here. Um, Graham, Graham's brain is very different from my brain, where he tends to have like compartments in his brain, which are very, very separate. And there seems to be a golden rule that all the contents from one box never, ever touches the contents of another box. There's no relationship whatsoever between any of them. He can switch on, switch off. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also <laughs> a very <laughs> special box called the nothing box. <laughs> I can come home from work and see him and say, what are you doing? He go, nothing. That's <laughs> fair enough, but what are you thinking? Nothing. <laughs> How is that even possible? <laughs> My mind is more like a, a ball of wire wool that everything is interconnected. Every thought, idea, plan, past, present, future, it's all mingled in. And I think in that busyness, you might or might not relate. I don't know whether it's a man-woman thing. I don't know. But, um, or just a me and Graham thing, I don't know. But it's very busy. So in our, our busyness of our lives and our busyness of our heads, it's quite easy to be distractors. So I've just come up with three things which stops us from living our adventurous lives in this busyness. Um, they're quite simple. One is we can forget that we are secure in our Father. Two is we can forget we have surrendered to the Son. And then we can also forget to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So what's it like to be secure in the Father? John Eldridge said... This is the enemy's one central purpose, to separate us from the Father. He uses neglect to whisper, you see, no one cares, you're not worth caring about. He uses a sudden loss of innocence to whisper, this is a dangerous work and you are alone, you've been abandoned. And in this way, he makes it nearly impossible for us to know what Jesus knew. Makes it so very, very hard to come to know the Father's heart towards us. We can be trapped in insecurity, unbelief, fear, shame, guilt, um, but this is what the Bible says, Galatians 4, 6 to 7. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you're not a slave but a child? We're now children of our Heavenly Father. Let's remind ourselves what the Heavenly Father is like. Jesus often used to talk in stories, didn't he? And he used the story of the prodigal son. Most of us will be aware of that. 
that actually this son who's quite arrogant and unselfish said, I want my inheritance now, completely dishonoring the father. Father said, okay. He went off, lived the high life, squandered everything. And it wasn't until later when he was like um, eating pigs where he thought, actually, it's better in my father's house. Even if I was a servant, they're living better than, than I am. So I'll, I'll go back and I'll apologize and, and just see I'll be one of the servants. Um, as he did this, this is the response of the father. And this is a response that Jesus wants us to see, our Heavenly Father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father actually ignored this, didn't even comment. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate that this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found and he began to celebrate. This is what our heavenly father is like. He wasn't raising his eyebrows or, or wagging his finger. He was running and embracing and, and restoring the status. You're my child. He put a cloak on to say, actually, I'll cover your shame. And that's sometimes what we've, we can forget as we run around doing our business. Um, I'll tell you another story of um, a lady who is in our church. She was just going about her ordinary business, doing her shopping, and she went to this shop and she saw someone in the distance that I kind of recognise her, but she looks older and, and thinner than before. But she went up and said hi, and it was her a neighbour she hadn't seen for years. And she said to the, the neighbour, how are you? And the neighbour said, well, actually not too great. Um, in fact, I haven't been very well at all. I've been in a psychiatric hospital. My life seems to be crumbling around me, really. Um, increased you know, pressure at work, home life is crumbling, and she felt quite suicidal said, I've been in the hospital for three weeks. In fact, this is my first day out. I'm on day release. I'm just picking up some provisions. And instantly, the, the lady is thinking, she fumbled for her words, but I said, I don't think this is an accident that, we, that we've met today. And she started speaking of a heavenly father who loved this woman and has a plan for her life. Now, it's a longer story than that, but they kept in contact. She then started coming along to church, and um, several months later, she actually committed her life to Jesus, and this is several years ago now. I caught up with this lady a few weeks ago and said, do you mind if I share this story? And she said, no, absolutely not. I remember that day really well um, because I had a plan. Um, I was going to come out of the hospital. Um, I was going to buy some food, take it to my family, cook a meal, but instead of going back to the psychiatric hospital, I was going to end my life. And this is what she said. As she walked from this shop after speaking to this lady, she said, she heard God's whisper, said, but I have other plans for you. Isn't that amazing? Dude, God, this is our Heavenly Father. It's not a story told in a Bible. This is the reality of a living Heavenly Father who wants to engage with people all the time and isn't worried about what they've done in their past and their history and even what's going on in their minds. He's loving, wants to embrace them. And you know what? The odd thing is he wants to use people like us. He doesn't need to. He could have just sent a thunderbolt down and, you know, surprise us. He could have sent Jesus in a dream, but he didn't. He wanted to use people like us. And it's incredible and, for me, very provoking to think that actually he wants to do that, but also he wants to see um, people added to him and welcomed home. We have a daughter, I'm told we've got two children. 
uh, one son called, one all grown up now. High five. Yeah. <laughs> Last week, made it. we've made it. We've got a 19-year-old son and an 18-year-old daughter from last week. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, you're the only one who said that. Um, and it's, when she was younger, she used to love jumping. So she used to go on a sofa and say, Dad, catch. And Dad would catch her. And then she'd get a bit more confident and go up the stairs and say, Dad, catch. And Dad would catch her. And we had these bunk beds. And sometimes we'd go up the bunk beds and say, Dad, catch. <laughs> Most of the time he'd call her. And, uh, <laughs> but it's trusting, isn't it? Unbelief shrinks when we take small steps and see that our Father really is with us. Faith increases the more we jump. I don't know what topic we're talking about, but we came in on the back of faith. We think, that's absolutely it. It increases when we jump. Fear fades when we are secure in his love. The more we jump, small steps. He's not asking us to do huge things. He's saying small steps. See that I'm there. See that I'm faithful. And then you'll want to do more. It's an exciting adventure. Little steps at a time. Um, it's also in our business. <laughs> I'll have to whiz through this. Um, second point is we forget to surrender to Jesus. Um, uh, in 1985, little known, Oprah Winfrey was a minor talk show host in Chicago. She wasn't getting anywhere in her career. As she was jogging around a running track, she found herself singing, I surrender all. In that moment, she gave her life and her future over to God. When she got back indoors, Steven Spielberg was on the phone offering a part in a award-winning film, Colour Purple. That doesn't always happen, <laughs> but it's a good story. 91 years earlier, a young man was wrestling with the issue of whether he should give up his promising career as an artist and musician and serve the Lord as evangelist. In 1896, after five years of struggle, he finally gave in and said yes to God and immediately started writing the hymn that Oprah sung, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed saviour, I surrender all. Sometimes we kind of think, yes, we forget. Of course, when we first come to know Jesus, we surrender all, of course we do. Then sometimes we find ourselves pulling it back, don't we? You know, possessions, we can think, okay, I, I'm, possessions aren't so bad, but what about family? What about friends? Um, Jesus said, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. It's a big call. Um, often I, I used to find myself, when the kids were younger, that I was praying a lot for their safety. And I'd think, oh, goodness, when they're crossing the road for the first time, I pray that they're safe. When they get into a car with, with friends, that parents who I didn't know, I pray for their safety in the car, wherever they went. And Graham was saying, you seem to be praying for their safety quite a lot. You really need to start praying for their salvation. And it was true. I think it, it just turned everything around. What's more important? You need to be saved, going on with God. Then we can trust. Surrendering all. Surrendering ourselves, surrendering our families, surrendering um, our lives. We often think it's my family, it's my future, it's my career, it's my life. Um, your life. The life you see me living is not mine. It's important for us to remember, even in the business, to say, actually, it's not my life, it's your life, Lord. And finally, you need to remember to be sensitive to the Spirit. Um, God often calls the ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things. Uh, Peter, a fisherman called by Jesus to be a disciple, left everything. 
Um, Peter, who witnessed the miracles, the dead being raised, the walking on water. Um, he was in the garden. He witnessed the arrest. He denied Jesus, an onlooker, the crucifixion. Fast forward 40 days at the temple with the cripple. The cripple said to him, if you know this story, um, uh, have you got any money? He said, I have no money, but get up and walk. And the leaders of the day asked, but what power and what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What was the difference? What's the difference? They had been with Jesus, they knew the Father, and had also experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That's the difference from him denying Jesus to him actually then preaching, seeing people saved, and we know the story, how his life pans out. And it's the same for us. You know, it's not just then, it's now. We've uh, seen a number of people become Christians recently, and um, about six months ago, a girl became a Christian, young lady, and she said, she, I run a thing, Graham kind of hinted at it, I run a thing called Freedom in Christ. And we come to the end of it and she wanted to some prayer. So I said, okay, we'll pray. She said, it won't take long. I haven't got much of a history. It's absolutely fine. Anyway, we started praying. And it was as if God had a highlighter pen and was just highlighting things in her life. And as we were praying, she kept crying, saying, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm so sorry. But God was highlighting. And then she started laughing thought, good sign, good sign. I said, is anything happening? She said, well, yes, I'm a special needs teacher. And today I was sitting on the floor with my my class and I was rolling up bits of rubbish and I was throwing it into the bin. And they thought it's great. So I kept doing it. They said, God's just reminded me of that now. That's what he's doing. He's throwing the rubbish away. He's saying it's no longer part of me. It's away from me. I can now be free. And I went, that's great. I said, does God often speak to you like that? She went, yeah, she's only been a Christian a few months. I said, well, in what ways? She said, well, I was walking to a party the other day in my everyday, ordinary life, and when I got there, I felt God say, don't go in. That they were, the people were nice, there's nothing wrong with the party. I said, go home. So she turned around and went home. When she got home, right by her doorstep, she saw someone collapsed. And she went, oh, that's what God wants me to do, wants me to be with that person. I think, again, to be open and expectant is exciting. Uh, We've got some interns in our our church, and I share an office with them, and they were saying, what am I going to be speaking on today? And and I told them, and I told them the story about travelling on the train. I said, that convinced me of the sort of thing I wanted to talk about today. And one of them said, no, that never really happens to me. I said, well, do you ever ask, or, or do you ever expect God? He went, hmm... Oh, really? Then last week, got this text from him. He said, I had one of those cats on the train, buzzing, was able to tell him about kings, about some of the healings, and invite him along tomorrow. If nothing had changed, he hadn't changed. He was just a little bit more expectant and thought, I wonder whether. Now, it doesn't always have to be trains. Um, <laughs> quick, let's get on the train home. There's not going on the car. It's just wherever. Shops. Where, if you work workplace. If you shop, it could be the shopping mall. If you get on a train, it could be in the train. If you car share, it would be in the car. If you live in a house, it could be your front door, couldn't it, Ben? I don't know if you know, you all know Sophie. I know Sophie really well. Do you know her story? 
She, I knew her when she was about 14, and she was not the Sophie you now know. She, <laughs> she came as a dare to knock on a front door, and she had about four other people behind her. She was about 14, knocked on the door. As I opened the door, her mate scarpered, and she was left there. And there was an alpha leaflet in the window, and I think she had nothing else to say apart from, well, what's alpha? And um, I started talking, and then it was just a God thing that happened that she wasn't aware of, but we kept bumping into each other. Eastbourne's quite big. We kept bumping into her. And then we had this graffitied scout hut at the end of our road, and I grabbed her and said, I don't know whether this was you, but it's probably some of your mates or who you're mixing with. We're going to be cleaning up. Do you want to help? She helped. She then, um, we then had a meeting that evening. I said, do you want to come to the meeting? She came along to the meeting. She heard the gospel, became a Christian. Now married to the lovely Ben and doing great. Things. So, yeah. <laughs> I have to tell that the story because Sophie says, "Oh, you don't tell that story anymore." But that's such a long time ago, don't we? Which is great. But we want stories now, don't we? Every day, and you think that's always the challenge. So, um, I've probably I've really gone over time. Sorry, but let's end it, wrap it up here. It's important for us to live our lives the way God wants us to, saying yes to the adventure living ordinary lives in an extraordinary way to reach people who don't even know they need to be reached yet, to be welcoming, encouraging, real, and live our adventurous lives. And we'll wrap up there, but it'd be quite good if we prayed, I think, wouldn't it? I'll let Mr. Marsh do that. Oops. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.